0: And I'm Carrie, And we
1: are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 105. Day whatever of social distancing. I was going to say, we just need to go ahead, talk about it, put it all out in the open there that we are making our way through our quarantine snacks. Oh,
0: God. (laughs) I don't even know what that sound was, but I had like a family size thing of uh, chili cheese Fritos that I got from Sam's. On Saturday. And I said had. (laughs) Yesterday they were gone. Yesterday was Saturday. (laughs) She's lying, y'all. It was Tuesday. I'm not that bad. It was a family size. Even the chip monster couldn't. I was like, the roof of my mouth was like, girl, slow down. I raw dogged my mouth. (laughs) <laughs> That's not what I was oh my what was Oh my I don't think I <laughs> need to hit the desk.
1: <laughs> what well, did you fall out of a chair? Well, I went there. I needed a moment to recover, much like your mouth. <laughs> Don't worry, I moved on to cheese balls today.
0: Lisa <laughs> went dick cheese. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Smegma. We're joking. But, I mean, that's the truth. Like we laughed, but that is the truth. <laughs> <laughs> she, I can't
1: even never mind.
0: <laughs> it is the truth. I am healed. <laughs> it is all good. But we do have snacks. We are prepared. We're not going to restaurants anymore. <laughs> We're doing takeout.
1: But it is pretty scary. Like, I mean, you know, we had a big meeting at work today talking about we may have to reduce hours. It's so scary to think of the financial burden. Yeah. Like the ramifications of everything. On a global standpoint, but also like my immediate future. Yeah. Paying my mortgage, paying my bills, paying my, you know, with if hours are reduced. And all that. So I know that a lot of y'all listening are feeling the same thing. You have lost hours you have lost jobs and so just know that we're here we feel it too we have a great community that supports us and you and you know each of you so reach out we have amazing watch parties and i think that there's going to be more throughout the time that people are in quarantine and <laughs> yeah social distancing and all the things so you'll have something to do and we're going to try to do a facebook live in the group yeah, for sure, for sure. So, Just something to kind of occupy time. Maybe we'll play Child Crown. No, we won't. <laughs> I was listening to Bitch Bible today, and she said, "Well, how, of course, I could never say how she says it because she's so fucking funny, but she was like, I have never been more annoyed with my husband than now. She's like, day whatever of social distancing and... Everything, the way he breathes, the way he chews, the way he blinks, the way he, you know, and yeah. I was dying. That's
0: you. Yeah, for real. On the day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. If she's hungry,
1: that's her. Oh, if I'm hungry, fuck. My keys fell weird, and she was upset about it. Legit. She's not lying. Like, her her purse fell, and it made a loud, because that's what her keys are attached to. It made a loud clang, and I was like, hmm. I kept it in, though. yeah. Pre-medicated carry would have been like, brah! A T-Rex. Basically. So we know that this is a hard time financially. So thank you so much for all of y'all who are supporting us to keep this podcast afloat. And shout out to our new Patreoners, Annalise H. from Missouri. Jessica R. from California.
0: Dora G. from Georgia. Rachel J. from Missouri. Jennifer for L from Michigan. And we kept the longest name. For last? Yep. Can I do it in one breath? We'll see. Alright. Try and catch me creeping. I'm peeping. Try and catch me creeping dirty from North
1: Carolina. Alright. If you want to know what Patreon's all about, head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. Thank y'all for all of your support. Okay. This week... We're taking a trip over to Atlanta to Emory University.
0: Ooh. A Stranger from the Outside. Ooh. What movie?
1: Toy Story. Mm Mm-hmm. And we're in 1994. Damn. Uh, Didn't that when Toy Story came out? 95, right? Close. One of those. (laughs) Something. There's a 19-year-old girl student at Emory University, and her name is Shannon Melindy. So... Shannon was gorgeous. She grew up in Miami. Her dad had actually fled from Cuba and came to the States. And, you know, so she grew up in Miami. She was so smart. She was like the president of her junior and senior class. She was honor society, graduated cum laude, like just very smart. So she had it all. Yep. Brains, beauty, beauty. She was kind. She was – She literally, she was the whole package. She was wanting to go to law school. She, like, turned down Georgetown to go to Emory. Wow. She was majoring in Spanish and political science with a goal of going to law school and joining the Navy. And in her first year of college, like, this is how, um, like, just – she was just poised for amazing things. She was an intern for the Carter Foundation, which was – former president Jimmy Carter's nonprofit, and she was the first freshman to ever get a paid internship. Wow. Yeah. Her parents got married in the 70s, her her dad, Luis, and her mom, Yvonne, and they had Shannon and then her sister, Monica, that was like five years younger than her. While Shannon was away at Emory University, she also had a part-time job as a scorekeeper at this like softball country club complex thing. And so she was on March 26, 1994. She was at the softball fields keeping scores for games. So she worked that whole morning. And then at noon, there was a break for lunch. She left to go to lunch. And then no one ever saw her again. So Shannon's friends realized that, hey, you know, where the hell is Shannon? She's missing. So they look for her. And they end up finding her car parked at this gas station the next morning. Her keys are still in the ignition, and the doors are unlocked. I feel like also only in 1994 would that car not have been stolen. Right? Or just pure luck. Right? So her friends called the police, and then when the police get there, they say, okay, well, just y'all drive her car back to campus, and, like, we'll kind of, like, investigate from there, basically. And so her friends are like, drive her, she's missing, wow. drive her car back? Okay. So that's like mistake number one. Yeah. That should have been a fucking crime scene. Yes. The police call her parents who then come in from Miami to see what they can do, you know? Well, clearly the police were not like taking this very seriously that she was missing because they had them drive the car back, but they told her dad She'll turn up. They even said she probably just went to Cancun just on a whim because it was coming up close to spring break. And so they're like, oh, she just went down to Cancun. She'll she'll turn up. You don't know her like that? Right. So you're telling me this girl who has all of this responsibility, does all this volunteering, has a job, is pre-law, is, you know what I mean? Like all these things about her that are like – very meticulous, very organized, very all these things. She's just going to up and be like, I'm going to go to Cancun. Even though I was still working that day and not tell a fucking soul. And
0: leave my car with the keys in the ignition and unlocked just mm-hmm. randomly. Mm-hmm.
1: And, like, she was close to her parents. Like, she, you know what I mean? This is definitely not what happened. So, of course, her family and friends were like, "Absolutely fucking not. That is not what happened. So... They start searching, you know, they they collect some money, they get a $10,000 reward, they start putting billboards up. I mean, they are doing the damn thing, trying to find Shannon. Well, her dad, like I said, he was from Cuba. He was able to, through some friends, like through their Cuban community, reach out to A.D. Garcia, the actor and professional football and baseball player, Bo Jackson. And they even did... Like, public service announcements, like being like, please help find Shannon, you know, that kind of thing. They even went to, like, senators and finally got the FBI involved. So, it was 11 days.
0: 11 days.
1: Before they got a lead, before anything.
0: Again, I ate a family-sized Frito chip bag from Sam's in three days
1: by myself. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, the first lead came in, and it was a phone call. The counseling center at Emory University got a call from a guy that said that he was holding Shannon hostage. He said that Shannon was safe, but she, quote, felt lonely. Mm, What? And he said, I promise that I'm going to show you proof, and hung up. Oh, Lord. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, the police were able to trace that phone call to a phone booth. When they got to the phone booth, there was a little bag there wrapped in masking tape. And when they opened it, it was a blue topaz ring that Shannon's godmother had given her. Oh, whoa. So, yeah. So whoever called was legit He yeah. took her.
0: Yeah. Okay. I thought they were just yanking the chain.
1: Yanking the okay. chain. Okay. That's okay. not it. All right. Okay. We'll go
0: with it. <laughs> One minded tonight. What? Just stop talking.
1: <laughs> 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 so, of course, her parents change all the billboards from like missing to kidnapped. So, from that, finally, like a full scale investigation's launched. And they're like, fuck, we've lost all this time, you know, because especially in a kidnapping, the first 24 hours are. But, crucial. Yeah. And it's been weeks. Oh, but she's just in Cancun. Mm-hmm. Jackals. Yank your own chain. The police were searching and searching and searching, and they just weren't finding any leads. So eventually, the case took on, like, a national scope. So that ransom call and the case made it to America's Most Wanted and Oprah's show. Oh, fuck. That was just a couple of shows that it made it to. Well, one thing the police did finally do, though, is they interviewed some people from the softball fields. There was a guy named Jerry Chastain, and he was playing in one of the softball games that day. In fact, he was the pitcher. And so Shannon was the scorekeeper. And Jerry said that the umpire that was behind the plate was horrible. He said that he would be mid-pitch. And that umpire would, like, turn around to talk to Shannon. Wow. That, like, clearly this guy was, like, infatuated with her. was, like, I mean, because she was gorgeous. And so this guy was, like, kept trying to talk to her, you know, all the things. His batter was up. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It was a wooden bat. <laughs> <laughs> Did that just stump you? Jerry even said that this umpire would like be turning to talk to Shannon and then turn back and be like, ball. And he was like, fuck you. You weren't even looking. So it like created conflict. So he clearly remembers this guy being like, what the fuck? You know? Yeah. He said that the umpire like in between innings would go to the fence to talk to her. Like it was just like he was more interested in her than the actual ball game. So who was the umpire? His name was Colvin Hinton third, and he went by Butch. So that's what I'm going to call him for, for the rest of the, you know, thing. So the police are like, who the fuck is this Butch guy? The police do some digging into Butch's background, and they find out that he does have a criminal record. In 1977, in Kentucky, he was actually charged with criminal attempt to commit rape. Red flag, Yeah, so he and his brother get a wild fucking hair, and they decide that they want to try to kidnap their boss's wife. What the fuck? Uh Uh-huh. So that case was handled in juvenile court, because he was young, and he got counseling. What? Mm Mm-hmm. Really, really helped him. Mm Mm-hmm. In 1982, this motherfucker lured this girl named Tammy Singleton, lured her to this cemetery because he told this poor girl that he had a winning lottery ticket. This is how they would get you, Donna. I got a winning lottery ticket. Or here's a voucher. Go play a fucking slot machine. Oh, for sure. Or here's some Mm scratch-offs. Me, they'd be like, I'll pay your student loans off. Well, instead of giving her a winning lottery ticket, he kidnaps her Puts her in his car, takes her to his house, ties her up in the basement, is attempting to rape her when his wife gets home. What the hell? Hears the girl screaming, comes down, and frees her before he fucking rapes her. Oh, my gosh. So, they then take the girl to their pastor.
0: Oh, gosh.
1: Yeah, but... He did go to jail for that. His charges were unlawful restraint and indecent liberties with a child. She was 14. Wow. He got four years in prison. Wow. He served two. Oh, God. And apparently, allegedly, there were other assaults too that just he didn't go to jail for. I mean, seems logical. This guy who has a juvenile record of attempted kidnapping and rape then kidnaps and attempted rape of a 14-year-old, let's give him 4 years and let him out in 2. Mhm. He's not escalating at all. Right.
0: I was going to say I'm not even a dressmaker, but I can follow that pattern. <laughs> 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 no. <laughs> I don't know.
1: (laughs) Did you just make that up? Yeah. (laughs) That's pretty good. I don't know. That's pretty good.
0: Oh, my God.
1: So police search his house in April and May and find nothing. Like, literally nothing. And so they're like, I mean, what do you want us to do? We we fucking have nothing, right? Mm Mm-hmm. The other thing, too, is that. The day that Shannon disappeared, Butch told his boss, like that day, that he needed to leave early because he had family problems, which of course was a lie. I mean, I feel like I'm fucking Maury Povich. So here are just some like missteps by police. We know that police told her roommates to drive her fucking car back. They also didn't fucking even do fingerprints on the car. And multiple people had gotten in her car at that point too. By the time police got to the gas station to take... The security footage, it had been erased. Then they found out that one of the FBI agents had unraveled the fucking mask and tape from the ring bag with no gloves. I mean, this is your job. Mm -hmm. At this point, it's nineteen ninety four, like forensics is not that foreign. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's gloves are basics. Yeah. Like people aren't still smoking at crime scenes. You know what I mean? Yes. And I just feel like
0: Yes, at this point, that's like a doctor not fucking wearing gloves.
1: hmm
0: Like, wear gloves. hmm
1: Well, there were also, like, no recording devices at the counseling center that got the phone call to record, like, his voice. So, like, on all those shows and stuff, it was just, like, her case, them telling the call, you know, this yeah. is what was said. They weren't able to, like, play the actual call. Police do know that the phone booth where they found her ring was near Rex, Georgia, and... That's where Butch lived. Hmm. Uh Uh-huh. Well, a couple months after police had searched his house, like, remember how I said they did in April and May? Well, in September, police get called back to Butch's house because it had caught on fire. Hmm. Supposedly, he said it came from a vacuum cleaner. Well, of course, they do their investigating, and it's clearly arson. There's, like, an accelerant poured. Like, Mm -hmm. boy, you're not that smart. Okay. The police do some digging, of course, because now they, like, have even more to really search stuff. I mean, why they didn't have it before, I don't know. But I guess because maybe it was all circumstantial. But I'm not an attorney nor a police officer. So all I know is now they got him for show because now they can get him on insurance fraud. Mm. And I believe something too, like with the mail, like sending like fraudulent mail, like through the mail system or something like that too. So he ended up actually going to jail for the insurance fraud in 1996, and he was in jail from 1996 to 2003.
0: He was in jail longer for insurance fraud than for the
1: kidnapping and attempted rape of a 14 year old. Yeah, uh-huh.
0: yeah. yeah. Okay. Just, Just yeah. Okay.
1: While the police are doing the investigation on the arson fraud, one of his neighbors comes up, you know, one of Butch's neighbors, and is like, look, he had this bonfire. It was really fucking weird. You really need to look in his backyard. So the police, of course, go to the backyard, and they find something weird. So in this kind of fire pit. What the Stephen Avery's going on here? hmm They find women's sweaters. But, like, not sweaters that would fit his wife. Like, they are not his wife's sweaters. They also find plastic pants. Like, the type of plastic pants that, like, a forensic investigator would wear. Like, you would wear them to, like, a crime scene. Plastic pants. Wire ties. Different, like, types of cleaning products in a sleeping bag. Whoa. What in the murder kit? Right. Right. While all this is happening, like with his arson charges and conviction and all of that, big shit starts happening in the States that pulls the FBI away from Shannon's case to stuff like Oklahoma City bombing, the OJ Simpson trial, the Monica Lewinsky scandal, like all this stuff that had to pull the FBI off this. I mean, I hate to say that, but this one girl's missing, kidnapped. Probably dead, but I mean, I know that sounds so crass, but these, I mean, Oklahoma City bombing happened, you know, and so the FBI's manpower just had to go elsewhere. One of the profilers that was working the case, though, did tell Shannon's dad, he said, that guy did it. I know he did it. I just can't prove it. Like, that's your man. But eventually, a newly developed cold case unit was assigned Shannon's case. And so they start really looking into timeline, the evidence, all the stuff that the last investigation just missed. So they started first with the physical evidence. Okay, what what do we have that we know? We know that we have this bag that had her ring in it. And, we I mean, we know that came from the kidnapper. So what they did was they did forensic-y things, looking at, like, the thread and the this and the weave and the pattern and all the things, And they found out that this ring bag was only sold by this one company, that only sold to this one company in Atlanta, and it happened to be sold to Delta Airlines. Wow. Guess who worked for Delta Airlines? Butch. Uh Uh-huh. He worked in the machine shop there. Guess what was found on the masking tape that was wrapped around said Delta Airlines bag? Metal particles. And that metal was specific only to airplanes. Wow. A ring-a-ding-ding. Mm-hmm. They also noticed and found that the tape that was used was a specific type of tape that they found at Butch's house that happened to also be tape he had stolen from work at Delta Airlines. Ooh, to catch a thief. Mm-hmm. So the police are basically like Kind of, I hate to say in the hot seat, but it's like, okay, he was about to get released from the fraud, you know, from the fraud charge. Mm -hmm. So they were ramping up. But he was, in fact, released before they could prove that it was him. Wow. So the prosecutors actually had five different jailhouse informants that testified that Butch had basically said that he had, that he murdered her in prison. Wow. Butch denied it all the way through the arrest, the trial, all the way, pled not guilty. I mean, through the whole shebang maintained his innocence. In September of 2005, he was convicted of killing Shannon Malindy. And he was the first person in Georgia's history to be convicted without a body or a crime scene. Really? Yes. So there's more. He was sentenced to life in prison. This was in 2005. In 2019, he became eligible for parole and will be eligible for parole every seven years after that. So every seven years, her family has to relive this through his parole hearings. Wow. Eventually, Butch did confess to killing Shannon. So I'm going to go through his kind of sort of quickly because we don't need to know all the gory details, but. Butch said that that day he actually had planned to rape another woman, Wow! but she wouldn't meet him. And so he had met Shannon for the first time at that game while he was the umpire that he asked her to go to lunch. And she was like, okay, they went and ate at Burger King. And when they were coming back to the sawpaw fields, he pretended like he made a wrong turn and instead headed to his house. Which was pretty close by. Then he said he had a leg cramp. And so he got Shannon to drive. When she was driving, he got into the back seat, pulled out a knife that he had hidden in the floorboard, and held it up to her and made her drive to his house. Oh, my gosh. Then he tied her up. He told her that he... Only wanted to steal her car, and that if she did what he said, she wouldn't be harmed. He would just steal the car and be done. So while she was tied up in his room, like upstairs, he went back downstairs. He started making phone calls around at the house so he could establish an alibi, uh-huh. calling the wife, calling the parents, calling the, all the people. Then he went back to the softball field and then took her car to the gas station. Cause And he, again, left the doors unlocked, left the keys in it. He was hoping somebody would steal her car. Yeah. He went back home and then repeatedly raped her.
0: Oh, gosh. Gosh. And he left the car at the gas station. So if they would have gotten the security tapes, there's uh-huh. a good chance that they would have seen
1: him mm-hmm. leaving the car there. Uh-huh. So then he leaves her, turns on the radio for her, on the station that she requested. Oh, oh, sure. How fucking nice of you. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Then he leaves the house again to take his niece and his nephew to fucking watch The Mighty Ducks. Don't taint Mighty Ducks for me. R- Girl, I was about to say it. Mm-mm. Fuck you, butch. He got home about 1030. Of course. She's still fucking tired of the bed. And now he gets scared. What yep. a piece of shit. And Yeah, right. Exactly. But, you know, in his panic of, oh, God, I'm scared, I don't know what to do, he rapes her, like, three more times. Oh, of
0: course, of course. Then he goes to bed. He has had a long
1: day. Mm-hmm. I guess he's tired. Oh, God, I can't stand him. Mm-hmm. Well, he wakes up a couple hours later from his long winter nap, and that's when he decides he's going to kill her. I'm just going to read some of his quotes. This was from a really good article that I found in the ABC News Law and Justice Unit. So he said, about two in the morning, I came out of my bedroom. I stood at my bedroom door. I saw she was laying there. I stood there staring and thinking about how I was going to take her life. He said that he noticed the tie rack in his bedroom. So he got one of the ties. And then he said, she didn't even know I was standing there. I came over top of her. Real quick, I took the tie and I put it around her neck. I think I crossed it, and I strangled her right there. She stopped moving. It happened a lot quicker than I ever thought.
0: Ugh. And you know what? It's like he's bragging on himself.
1: Oh yeah. Oh, I'm so strong. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, he's absolutely. Oh God. Ugh. Mm-hmm. So then he says that he took her body outside, like in a rollaway dumpster thing. And put her body on some logs and some brush and set it on fire with some gas that he had. Then he said it started to rain. And so he was like, oh, God, the rain's going to, like, put out the fire. So he went to the grocery store to buy more gasoline. Well, then he called his dad and was like, hey, can I borrow your bow saw? And he told his dad that a tree limb had fallen on his car. And so his dad was like, oh, well, I'll bring it over. And he was like, no, 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 I'll come get it. Because he said he didn't want his dad to see what he was doing. I'm like, meanwhile, uh, you just said a limb was on your car. So if you need his saw to get it off, how you going to fucking come get it? But I digress. Right. But he said that by the time he got back, that the fire had completely incinerated Shannon's body. And that he went inside, got dressed, and went to church. Oh, church. After that. But here's my question. Oh, oh, wait, hang on. Before, here's my question about the fact that her body was incinerated. Let me just say that after church, he took his wife to the Olive Garden to eat and then gave her one of Shannon's rings. Oh, my.
0: Um, the fucking audacity. And how is he going to taint the Mighty Ducks and Unlimited Breadsticks?
1: Girl, wait. He told his wife that he bought it from a friend who had just separated from his fiance. So he told his wife, and I fucking quote, I'm sorry it came off another lady. Don't think of it like that.
0: What the fuck?
1: What the actual fuck? What the incel
0: mentality is Bull- that, like?
1: Bullshit, yes. Ugh. So he says that because you know police had searched and they didn't find any of her remains in that fire area, and so he said that he really thought that police were onto him and that he had like cleaned up that area from the fire. His wife even held the bag for him because she had no idea. But he told her he needed to clean the yard up before the landscaper got there. Then he took the bag of ashes and like dumped it by a railroad. Wow. But here's my issue. Do you fucking know how hot that fire has to be to cremate a body? Fucking hide. And do you know that when you use gasoline, it actually creates like a surface fire that doesn't actually burn the body? So, I don't believe that. Right. Well,
0: again, what the Stephen Avery's going on here, because we learned that from that whole thing. They say that, like, when Teresa... Her the pieces are found there, Mm -hmm. that the bonfire couldn't get hot enough to do that to her. No,
1: it can't. And again, I'm sketchy on the the gasoline thing, because that's from like a forensic files from a billion years ago that I watched. But like it really, because the gasoline like burns off instead of burning the body. Mm. It was a case where they had tried to burn somebody in a car and- it, like, didn't do anything to the body. Again, it just burns the gasoline off. And so, it's like, they still don't know where Shannon's body is. Wow. But it's not, he did not burn that body that completely. Right. No. I don't know what happened to her. I mean, I know he killed her, but I'm saying, I don't know what happened to her body, but I know it ain't that. Yeah. Unless he has a best friend that works at a fucking crematorium. It, right. It doesn't, don't that, doesn't that fire get to like 3,500 degrees or something? It's like insanely hot. Yeah. So he's still in jail. He came up for parole last year, still in jail, and will come up for parole every seven years, basically for the rest of his life, which is such bullshit. And here's the thing too. There's a really good quote from Shannon's dad that says that had he gotten sentenced like he should have for that 14-year-old girl he kidnapped and raped, Shannon would still be alive. So fucking true. And that just, as the saying goes, shows to go ya. Yeah. I mean, like, we put more value on finances and fraud than we do a 14-year-old child's life. And she was kidnapped, and I'm going to say she was sexually assaulted. He may not have, like, penetrated her, but he did some shit to her. Oh, for sure. Never going to be the same. Mm -hmm. And that was an escalation from a previous conviction. So what the fuck did he fuck? Right. And just think about this. How many women don't we know about? Because I can guarantee, well, I can't guarantee, but I can almost guarantee that every one of those fucking sweaters he has is from people he's assaulted. Mm -hmm. Or stalked or, you know, like Mm -hmm. that
0: he was ramping up with. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: And just think, he had somebody in mind that day to rape mm-hmm. who wouldn't come meet him.
0: Like, how did they meet? Where, You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, was it a certain chat room?
1: Was mm-hmm. it... Yeah, because it was something that he clearly had, like, talked to her to get her to come meet him, you know? Mm-hmm. This is such a fucked up case. And again, it just... I think it's... Well, I hate to say cool, but I think it's cool because, again, he was the first person convicted without a body in a crime scene. But also... There was a good bit of forensics that led to his capture. Yeah. But also, I think it's interesting the timeline in that the happenings in America impacted the case. Because, again, FBI resources had to be pulled elsewhere.
0: Well, and then, like, OJ, that case pretty much started, like, the true crime 24-7, like, coverage. Mm -hmm. People wanted to watch everything, you know. And so, news coverage were, you know, like, it started to... Well, hey, we're going to get clicks. We're going to get mm-hmm. views and all of that. So it's not just going to be some girl. It's going to be Monica Lewinsky. It's going to be OJ. It's going to be these big time things. Fucking like Ted Kaczynski, the, you know, in the Oklahoma City bombing. Mm-hmm. Thanks, MK Ultra. Right. <laughs> Gosh, I
1: hate Butch. Yeah, he's pretty shitty. Ugh. You know, and again, it's still one of those things where he... I'm going to use air quotes of took responsibility, but also not because he's not telling the whole truth. Right. Could you imagine being his wife? And not only just like finding out that, okay, he's probably raped a dozen women, but also that ring. And then for him to tell you, sorry, it came from like another woman. But like pretend like he like that. I was like, are you? Motherfucking kidding me.
0: And like, you know, that made his dick hard telling her that though. Oh,
1: 100. Ugh, like, oh, ugh, fuck you. And he, probably every time he saw her with it on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a pretty shitty one, huh? Yes.
0: Okay, well, let's listen to mine for some good times.
1: <laughs> Dazzle me.
0: All right. Just in honor of you and Kelly Molins. Favorite fucking word of 2020.
1: Fucking synchronicity.
0: Yes. I am doing a story that involves Greg Newkirk and Dana Matthews Newkirk. They do a lot of stuff, but with that word, we know that they are the brains behind Hellier. It's on Prime. I'm still watching it. I think it's really interesting. I recommend it. If you don't like that word, you will hate it by the end of second episode.
1: I've never seen it. (laughs) I just know that you use that word all the time. But has it not been true? I mean, I guess. It has. <laughs> it
0: has. They're also the founders of the weekandweird.com website, and I use it all the time as a resource for the episode research.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's great. And last but not least, they created the world's only traveling museum of the paranormal and occult. Damn. And that is what we're going to be focusing on today. So picture it. September 13th, 2015. Greg and Dana are on one of the best late night radio shows ever, Coast to Coast AM. It was kind of an introduction segment and like learn all about how their life got twisted, turned upside down. You'd like to
1: commit to just sit right there and tell us how he became the prince of the town called Bel Air? Mm-hmm.
0: But really, they talked all about their experiences, the museum, some of their artifacts, all of the things. And they were super excited because being on that show led to opportunities. But one of those opportunities turned out to be a nightmare. Dun-dun-dun. Fast forward a couple of days after the show, and they received an email from a man who did, in fact, listen to the show and heard about their museum. He told them that he had a statue that his family and he had reason to believe is haunted. And he's kind of local, so he's like, let's meet in the middle, neat the old Georgia Pines. But he seriously wanted to save money. I don't blame him on shipping because, you know, it's expensive. Mm-hmm. Shit gets lost or shit gets returned to sender because of packaging and postage shit like our stuff and I'm still pissed off about it. You're pissed off about it? pissed off about it. Oh, that's intense. So, of course, they email this guy back, and they're like, let's do it. But where are they going to meet? Where? Walmart parking lot, baby. Uh,
1: Walmart parking lot. I mean, of course, but also, of course.
0: Right? (laughs) Greg and Dana were also interviewed on the YouFaMet podcast a year ago, and Greg is talking about how they got this thing that I'm about to talk about. And the first thing that made me laugh and go like, the fuck people you hang out with, Greg, is he says he's waiting in the parking lot with Dana and he sees this normal looking guy walking up to their automobile, their adventure mobile. Okay. Mm -hmm. And he's carrying this burlap sack kind of away from his body. And he said he looks normal. And then proceeds to say he has a baseball cap pulled down low so no one could see his eyes uh that's not normal right i'm like greg this is not normal i think we need to talk about the definition <laughs> like what have you ever heard of like to a, catch a predator yes a kidnapper's description have you ever watched the tv show you i mean that's his fucking whole thing But I will say in the article on Weekend Weird that Greg wrote about this, he said that the guy looked like an all-American dad, but about the hat, and I quote, it was the kind of flimsy disguise worn by dudes who use the back doors of massage
1: parlors. Damn.
0: So I was like, okay, you know it's sketchy. Okay, Mm -hmm. Greg. But that's
1: oddly specific, Greg, looking at you.
0: Very true. Very true, Greg. So the man obviously came up to their vehicle and kind of shoved the burlap sack at Greg and was seriously like, well, Greg, he's your problem now. Oh, shit. Well, Greg's like, hold up. Wait a minute. We need some background info on how you came across this. We can't magically know everything about this. We need to know, you know, just we need information. You can't just be like, he's your problem. Like, who is he? Mm Mm-hmm. Like, oh, my gosh. He's like, don't worry. We're taking it. Just stay. Yeah. So the tea of it is, six months before this whole parking lot shenanigans went down, Tim and his family, which is his wife and a son, and this is the man that approached the car, moved to a house in the country in Dayton, Ohio. That is the third time Dayton, Ohio
1: has come up for me today.
0: Synchronicity, y'all. Fucking synchronicity. You're witnessing it right now, and Carrie cannot deny it. I feel like this guy, Tim, is a DIYer, like weekend warrior type of guy, because he discovered a burlap sack, the one that he shoved at Greg, while he was under his house installing new cabling in the house that they just moved into. And so he's, like, in the basement and stuff, like, doing the damn thing. Fucking Fix-It Felix over there. Right. In the basement part, there's this crawl space, and he noticed this burlap sack, and it was bound by this twine that was all twisted around it. And he really didn't know what was in it at first, because it just kind of looked like a sack of cobwebs. Of course, as every story goes, this guy, he takes it up the stairs. He's going to investigate, and you know what they say? There might be a little dust on the bottle, but don't let it fool you about what's
1: inside. This girl's a regular fucking jukebox today.
0: (laughs) So he opens it up and there is something inside and it's a statue. It's a wooden statue. It's two and a half feet tall and it looks like an African warrior with white eyes. Oh, shit. And everything is pretty much, like, black besides those white eyes and some symbols, like this triangle symbol on the forehead. So, it looked creepy, but it also looked like something that people would collect from, like, a foreign country on a cruise ship. hmm You know? So, you could see why some people would have it, and it's like, all right, you know, like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Tim just placed a statue in his office and continued tinkering with his honey-do list I mean, and come to my house. But all was forgotten and all was calm until that night. Because their son woke them up screaming and running into their room saying that there was a little man in his room. He said that the little man from the statue came into his bedroom and he slowly tugged the covers off of the sun. Kind of like paranormal activity style, like from the bottom. Mm
1: -hmm. You know, oh. So creepy. Oh, God, that will always get me. What if every time you wake up in the middle of the night and your cover's on the floor, it's because something pulled it off? My my cover's always like that. Mine did, too, last night, which is what made me think of it.
0: I mean, also, I toss and turn like a motherfucker.
1: I know. I've had to share a bed with you before. Well, this kept happening
0: for a little over a week, but Tim and his wife just kind of said, okay. The son got freaked out because he saw the statue It looked kind of creepy, and the imagination of a kid, plus a new house, you know, I mean, it equals nightmares. And again, like most stories that I cover, the parents don't believe the kids until it happens to them. And this story is just like that. Tim refused to tell Greg and Dana about his wife's nightmares that she began to have. But he did say they both had really bad dreams. His exact quote is, All I'll say is that they were the most vivid, detailed, and horrible dreams the two of us have ever had. Mm -hmm. And two plus two equals four. And the only addition since these nightmares started was the statue. So Tim was like, I'm rewrapping it. I'm replacing it down in the crawl space and washed his hands of it. Mm -hmm. But the damage had already been done. Slowly but surely, the family's nightmares went away, but in a way, they became a reality. Because it wasn't just in a dream state any longer. Paranormal shit started happening at all times during the day. Electronics were really affected, so the lights would flicker on and off. They would see shadow people. And also, they would return home from various outings to find all of their faucets running at full blast. Hello, wet bandits and high water bills. So all of that's bad and could potentially be really bad if the sinks or the tubs overflowed. But shit kept getting worse. They would have a hard time getting to sleep at night because it sounded like people were having a fucking rager in their house. Slamming doors, kitchen cabinets, knocking, you know, just like like Ace Ventura when he's like, oh. Yeah. But, like, you know, just, like, back and forth, closing. And then they could also hear silverware being thrown. So, they got up to investigate, and they found the kitchen was devoid of people, but looked like a tornado had come through. So, Tim tried to go again. Like, you know, this was all stuff that had happened to Tim. And so, Tim's like, all right. And Greg's like, look, I need to know, like, what happened— to your wife, then. Like, we, we hear all of what you're saying, but what happened to your wife? And he's like, Look, I'm not telling you, but I will tell you one of mine. This is quoted from WeekInWeird.com. He said, I had a dream that I held her down, put a sharp rock to her chest, and cut her open. I heard her ribs crack, felt the warmth of her blood. I can remember the way she screamed, everything. It was all so vivid. Then I dug out her heart with my bare hands and ate it. Oh, shit. It wasn't a regular dream. It was terrible. And by the time he finished that last sentence, he was visibly upset and just kind of backed away slowly and said, Again, he's your problem now. And I know you're not really going to get this, but all I could picture is Tim doing the Miss Vanjie. Miss Finchie from Drag Race, and I died. Like, literally, for, mm, I don't know, five minutes, wheeze laugh. Because that's fucking funny. Greg said the day after they took the statue, which they were now calling the idol, they experienced car trouble for the first time in their adventure mobile. And lo and behold, they had the idol in tow. A trip that should have taken eight hours ended up
1: taking 15. Oh, God, that's the worst. Uh Uh-huh.
0: And there was absolutely no reasoning for it. So when they got back from the gig, he got it checked out. And seriously, the mechanics were like, no, bro, you good. Like, there's literally nothing wrong. Damn. However, a week later, they were scheduled at a festival in Lawrenceburg, Kentucky, And 20 minutes into the trip, the electrical system went completely batshit and shut down. Oh, shit. Yeah. So, they called AAA, and they called a friend of theirs, Jeff Waldridge, because he was the one who arranged their part in the festival. They needed to let him know, like, hey, dude, we can't make it, because they have to bring all of their Mm -hmm. artifacts and stuff. And Jeff is a fellow investigator, so... They told him about the idol and like, we think it's this because literally we've never had a problem and. Just got the car checked out. Yeah. So he's like, send me some pictures, you know. Don't they always want pictures? Mm Mm-hmm. So cut to the next day, Greg receives a text from Jeff that said he had contacted his friend, Bloody Mary, who is a New Orleans voodoo priestess. Mm Mm-hmm. Which we know from Zach and Addie and like she's been on TV shows and all of that. Her first words were, he didn't unwrap it, did he? Oh, shit. Right. So according to her, when Tim found it and he unwrapped the burlap sack, it confused the idol. Because the statue had been placed in Tim's basement for a reason. And she didn't know if it was a protection or a curse. But it was confused because it didn't know who Tim was. And also, it didn't know, like, its purpose. Yeah. So she said, look, make an altar. Kind of tell him what's going on, where he is, who y'all are, and give him an offering of rum and tobacco. And today, the Newkirks do have an altar in the corner of their living room. And he has lots of gifts and everything, and that's where he stays while they're not on the road. Yeah. She also told them to tell Tim to, like, purify the spot where he found the idol, so that crawl space. How do you purify it? I'm guessing this is how, because she said that they should, like, the whole family should take sea salt bath and scrub the floors and entryways with pure ammonia. Damn. So it. It's like it was down there not doing anything, but then once he snipped it. He unleashed the beast. Yeah, like just set off a whole chain of events.
1: But I mean, like, so part of me, because it's your story, I would be like, just leave it until do open it. But then on the other hand, it's like, if I found something in my new house, I'd be like, what the fuck is this?
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, I mean, we found those baby shoes in yours. Oh,
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. I forgot about that. And what did we do? <laughs> what the fuck are these shoes? And then we threw them away. Mm-hmm. Apparently we weren't supposed to.
0: hmm So Greg took Mary's advice, like I said, and made that altar, offered the tobacco, and explained everything to the idol. And that was that, right? Mm-mm. Yeah, wrong. Later that night, when Greg went to bed, he had the same dream he had been having on and off since they had gotten the idol. In this dream, Greg describes being in a crowded space, kind of like a bus station. So a lot of hustle and bustle, lots of people going. But he said even though it was a lot of hustle and bustle, he felt like he was being watched. And he said normally in this part when he can feel himself being watched is when he would wake up. However, the dream continued and he started to scan the crowd. He found this small man, which he was like more like an imp, Mm. which we've talked about. And he said he was like draped in a muddy brown cloak. And he said that it was like he was peering out from the group of the like just the travelers, you know, and no one noticed him. But he was looking at Greg and Greg was looking at him. And then he said it finally clicked that that cloak was made of burlap. Mm. And so he's like, Okay. This was a humanoid version of the idol. And so it's kind of like saying, hey, I'm watching you. Mm -hmm. And he said right then, like that's when he woke up, like when it kind of connected what this meant, it was like snapped back into reality and he woke up. Another incident with the idol and a new reaction occurred on Halloween night at the Carnegie Library in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And just an FYI, they offered it some rum and tobacco before they loaded it up. They calmly told him, like, where they're going, what they're doing there and everything. And they didn't experience any car trouble. Wow. Right? And and Greg was like, I mean, it's embarrassing to, you know, like, offer something like when you don't even understand. Yeah. Sometimes he was like, but it works. It's not embarrassing enough for us to sit and wait for AAA for no fucking reason. Right. At this event, there were people who wanted to hold the idol, but I'm going to talk about a certain person, and it's a woman. And she told Greg and Dana that she kind of had a sense about things. It kind of ran in her family. And so she was like, I want to see what I feel from the idol. And honestly, they were hopeful for more information. So like, yeah, please hold it. Let us know. But right when the woman took control of the statue, her entire body seized up. Like, think, stiff as a board. Greg said her face scrunched up. Her eyes, like, stared directly at his. And he said the only thing he could say is, like, they were filled with pure rage. Oh, shit. And she, like, just had strange words coming out of her. But it wasn't, like, just normal talk. It was, like, through a clenched Jaw. Damn. Yeah. So, like Clint Eastwood. (laughs) So, everyone's freaking out because what the fuck is going on? And he said it's, it literally lasted just a few moments because he grabbed the idol back because what? Right. And the change was instant. She was fine. And he said that, you know, she obviously walked away from the table, but she kept apologizing. But, you know, he wrapped the idol back up and Locked it up and went on with the event. Mm -hmm. So they didn't walk away with any new knowledge on who or what the idol was. But they did see how it could affect certain people. Because other people held it and Greg had held it. And he had weird dreams. But this lady, it took on a whole different effect.
1: Well, and she's like a sensitive to it. You know, of course it's going to affect her differently. Yeah.
0: Yeah. A week later, the event coordinator, TJ, had sent Greg an email explaining that he had began having increasingly vivid nightmares right after he had handled the idol. Like, it was like a diary. First night, saw the idol sitting in my dog's crate. But it's in dreams, you know. Yeah. The next night, I was sitting on a couch watching TV with Katie. And images of the idol would flash on the screen between scene cuts. Then the third night, he was on an airplane, and the seat to him was vacant. But then they hit bad turbulence, and he was freaking out. He doesn't like flying, but he does it anyway. And he looks over, and the idol's right next to him. Damn. Then the last dream happened two days after the third night. He said he woke up. Again, this is a dream, but, like, in his dream, he woke up went downstairs, and the idol was sitting on his dining room table with a note. And the note was from Greg saying, hey, here's the idol. We want you to have it. So he tried to contact them, but their phone numbers didn't exist. Then he went on social media, and he couldn't find them. Then went and found the text and tried to text, like, hey, what's going on? And the carrier said, number not found. Then he said he mailed it. He shipped it back and it returned to him and said, return to sender, no address. And so he Google mapped it and it just showed a road with fields. And so he woke up like entirely shaken by the whole thing. Like once they had gotten rid of it, they ceased to exist. Yeah. But he said the last time that the idol appeared, I wasn't asleep. Oh, shit. This is last Thursday. I was driving to work, and it was a bit foggy on the road, and it's a highway, and the idol showed up in the middle of the road. He said he saw it ahead of him, and he started to slow down, and he disappeared. Wasn't tired or anything, but he was so shaken up that he had to pull over. Damn. And so Greg is like, okay, we knew that once people touched the idol, they would have weird dreams, but now they're seeing the idol in real life. Yeah, yeah. Dana and Greg would do EVP recordings with the idol and their equipment malfunctioned every time. Finally, they managed to record his voice. And for months, it only came through as a guttural scream. Oh, shit. And so they're like, what the hell? But over the time as they went through and had him at different events and people started bringing offerings and stuff, he, it's like he found a voice, and so he started replying in a voice. So, fast forward to the time when the New Kirks were asked to cover a spot for the first hour on Coast to Coast AM because a guest had dropped out last minute, and so they're like, Hell yeah, let's do it! Right. So, of course, it made sense to bring the, the idol because that was an object that they got from their last appearance, mm-hmm. and it went well, nothing bad happened. The next day, the webmaster for the Coast to Coast AM website was like, hey, I need a photo of the idol for our blog. And so Greg was like, okay, I don't have any like good, close pictures of the statue, so I'll send you some. Well, later that evening, Greg also posted the history, or the lack thereof, history of the idol on WeekendWeird.com. Okay. And used some of those pictures, you know, like, hey— I have to touch him. I have to be all up, you know, with it. So, might as well get double duty. hmm And, of course, this brought on the the dreams. And what Greg called it was the imp in the crowd dreams. Hmm. This time, the imp had sharp teeth that it showed to Greg. Uh-uh. Don't like that. Yeah. So, he snapped awake and he grabbed his phone. Like, what time? What's going on? You know, what day is it? And his inbox was flooded with people who also had bad dreams. Oh, shit. From seeing the picture (gasps) of the idol.
1: What? That's a powerful fucking idol. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I mean, what in the Greg Brady is going on here? (laughs) Damn.
0: So now, I mean, it's just, like, progressed and progressed and progressed. I will say that if you look for pictures for this... You do so at your own risk, and you might lose sleep over it. And as Carrie says... Do
1: not fuck with my sleep. Exactly. I didn't even have to wait for you to say it, Mm because... Do not fuck with my sleep. Right.
0: I will say, by this time, people had given the idol a name. Billy the Idol. Okay. I mean, it's cute. But his full name was Billy the Idol of Nightmares. Like, the Idol of Nightmares.
1: That's fucking scary. That is, that is. But... Billy, the idol, it's better. I mean, it's like, mm, okay. Hey, Billy, like, you know, what I mean, okay. Yeah, you're making a fucking idol of nightmares sound pleasant. <laughs> well, it might be. What do you mean? Okay. <laughs> I'm going to tell
0: you, y'all, this is not scripted. I tell you, like I mentioned, the people in the crowds began to bring Billy offerings and he became more interactive on the EFAMET podcast. Dana talked about this one time they were on this island doing an event and they were in a building on the second floor and they had Billy. There was this woman who was like, I'm a painter and I really want to, you know, draw and paint Billy. Like, because it's, it is like a statue. It's an African warrior statue. It's striking and scary and cultural and all of the things. And Dana said they were slow, so she was like, yeah, you know, take him in the room, whatevs. And so, she's painting him. He's on a table, you know, and she's doing stuff. Well, then a snake comes and curls up. Curls? Mm-mm. Something, but... Ugh. Yeah, like, I mean, it goes in a circle, whatever snakes do. A snake curls up underneath the table that Billy's on, and the lady starts to cry. And... Dana helps her get it from underneath the table and takes it outside. Well, turns out that the snake is a totem animal for this lady. And she said it was like a sign from Billy saying, thank you. You know, and so it was just like a moment that they had. Damn. Like with this respect thing, you know. And because Dana's like, okay, we're on this island, like a random place. We're on the second floor. How did a snake get up to the second floor, Mm -hmm. past people, too, like, hello. Oh, absolutely. And, like, it just happened to really resonate with this lady, curl up underneath his table. Right. You know, it was just like, "Mm." So it was really, like, cause and effect. Like, uh, intelligent communication. Right. And then there was this man who held Billy at an event with Nick Groff, From paranormal lockdown. And this was at the Ashmore Estates. And it was during like a Nick Groff tour. Well, three days later, he was driving. And all of a sudden, he just started to think about Billy the Idol. And in that exact moment, a semi truck and a trailer like came over, encroached on his lane. Oh, my God. So he was like. I have to take action because if I don't, they're going to crash into me and I'm a goner. So, he, like, took his truck off the road, you know? Oh, my God. He went into the ditch at 65 miles an hour and totaled his vehicle. The truck didn't even stop. (gasps) And he said for whatever reason, he recalled thinking about Billy the Idol again as he was in the ditch in his truck and he walked away without a scratch. Wow. And so he emailed that to Greg and he said, was it bad luck or was it good luck? Did he cause the wreck or did he save me from the wreck?
1: Man, who fucking knows?
0: Right? Then in all of this synchronicity-ness of it all, there was this man who was very knowledgeable about the Congo, who just happened to be in the area, came upon the museum thing. So he knew some stuff. But he didn't know everything. But his friend, he was like, beep, boop, 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 boop. His friend knew a lot, too. So Billy is believed to be a 200-year-old Kisi statue from the Congo. And what it is, because usually Kisi statues have, like, nails in their eyes. And it could be for, like, a shaman for either protection or cursing, you know, whatevs. But It didn't have any nails in it. And so they said that it's probably for a healer, but a personal, like for personal use. So as the people offered and asked for blessings and everything, it kind of brought him back to life. Like he found his purpose again. And on Euphemet, Greg also explained that he had another dream. And in this dream, it was the same imp but instead of being the small, like, three-foot imp, it was, like, six feet tall and looked all regal and stuff. And it's, like, he had really, like, come into himself and was thriving, oh. you know. And it's almost, too, like, he had appointed Greg as his handler and, like, accepted it. You know, yeah. like, it was that connection. I want to say this. it's This is not a real scary story. But like in most cases... The real monsters are humans. And how did this statue end up in Ohio? Mm -hmm. Well, it's believed that when the missionaries were in the Congo, they destroyed all of these Kisi statues because it was a really dear thing for the people of the Congo because this is how they would talk to their gods. This is so much for their culture and for everything and, of course, you know, that's not what we need for our guide, and that's what we're going to do, mm-hmm. you know, all the things. And so what they didn't destroy, they took back as, you know, decor.
1: Oh, my God.
0: And, well, here we are, folks. So
1: how did they know, like, how was it in a burlap sack, and why was it under the thing? Maybe,
0: so, you know, like, who knows on that? They don't know about that. I mean, maybe someone found it, and... Who knows? Maybe, you know, like they knew what it was and they put it as a protection thing for the house. Maybe. You know, or who knows? And it took me back to that, that story about the terrible fucking man who raped all those people in the Congo, but about those missionaries and how if they would have just left Mm -hmm. the tribes along and let him be punished by the tribes, a lot of girls would have been saved. Yep. Yep. But the missionaries had to go in and put their law, their beliefs on these people. And it's just like, what the fuck? You know, and mm-hmm. I mean, it just goes to show you.
1: Shows to go you. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Good can't try. You, He's you actually it.
0: said it right. Oh. <laughs> but uh, that, I mean, even just this, this artifact, people had really bad dreams when this was in the wrong hands and you know all of the things so it's like people's lives could be bad like what if they didn't think about that statue and it stayed in that house like they had those bad dreams I mean he could have been driven to do something yeah you know what I mean and it's like and I know that's like such a leap it just angers me so much about that
1: but one thing I think is pretty like Poetic almost about it, though, is that in the end, when it found its place and it was cared for and supported, it grew into something regal and better.
0: Yeah. Well, and I, I it goes back to me. Look, y'all, I don't hate on missionaries. Like, I feel like there, there are purposes and everything for people. However. Don't push your shit on me. Yes. Don't tread on me. Mm-hmm. But it's like, yeah, this is actually a good thing. And maybe he did save him from that wreck. Maybe all Mm -hmm. of this thing. And it's like, it's a positive thing. And y'all destroyed this good because y'all
1: saw it as evil. Mm -hmm. And again, it's someone's culture. It's someone's way of life. And just because it's different doesn't matter.
0: Yeah, because you
1: don't understand
0: it. It's not evil. It's not wrong. Yeah.
1: Yeah it also kind of illustrates, again, what I just said, like you grow and you nurture something and show it kindness and generosity and love. And the good you put into something is reciprocated.
0: Yeah. Well, that's kind of what I wanted to end on. So I had wrote, so not to end on a bad note, (laughs) Greg and Dana said, it's amazing to think that If they had not cared to know anything about the statue, if they had just got a haunted statue, and he had these really creepy dreams, and weird shit was happening to their car, and, like, it's all evil. Like, that's all scary shit. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, and, yeah, the Idol of Nightmares, and, I mean, that's true, and all of that. But they wanted to learn more, and they listened. Mm Mm-hmm. And because of that, he's thriving. And if they didn't do that, if they were like other paranormal things that just take it at face value sometimes, he would just be a haunted object in a glass that we're afraid of. Mm -hmm. Like, he wouldn't be doing the good in the world. Honestly, he's a positive light in their life. He's kind of like a family member, you know? Yeah. And it's just like, they're whole, they're complete. He is. And... And I feel like that just is what we need to do as a society. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, seek the good, listen,
1: be willing to learn. Because you really do reap what you sow. Yeah. I mean, not in every instance, because sometimes people are just going to be the way they're going to be. Right. I
0: mean, there's bad shit in the world.
1: But sometimes just a little bit of kindness goes a long way. And I mean, especially with everything we're going through now is a, not a country, a world. Yeah.
0: And it's not always about you. So I, I always think about like, I try to be nice to everyone. Mm -hmm. And like, why, why didn't that happen to me? Like, I try to do this. And it's like, but who cares? Like, I might've made someone's day and it's fine. Yeah. Like, that's enough. Me being nice to that person could have been the difference of whatever.
1: And that's enough. It's so much easier to be kind. It is. There are days where um I would end up as a story on the podcast. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, that's being human. But for the most part, it's right. like, just, again, it's easier to be kind. Yeah. Well, that was good. Thank you. It's a little different. I don't know how much I believe it, but I don't not believe it.
0: I don't know. I mean, I... I
1: believe it. I believe, like, I mean,
0: I believe when you believe in something and you, like, ask for forgiveness, you speak words only, you know, like, a wishing well would hear. And, you know, Mm -hmm. like, and you believe that, even if that's not the catalyst, your belief in it and your belief in... Kind of is like in yourself, and it
1: works. It, you manifest it.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I mean, maybe the power is in you, but, you know, people can't believe in themselves, so let them believe in that,
1: and therefore it works. True. Well, yours started off rough, but it was a good kind of happy ending. Yeah. I'm glad you went second. Me too. After that one, fuck Butch. I know. Such a terrible story. It
0: was.
1: Oh, my gosh. It just is a prime example of the worth that our justice system puts on money versus people.
0: hmm
1: Yeah. Especially sexual assault. Yeah. But yours was happy we should end on that.
0: Well, and also the world is changing on sexual assaults and stuff, slowly but surely.
1: And with the the I hate to say like the true crime wave, but you know, people are getting more invested in Wrongful convictions and yeah. justice for not only, of course, victims, but the wrongly persecuted and yeah. making sure that our justice system is equal no matter socioeconomic status, race, mm-hmm. gender, you know, all the things. And yeah. so we're definitely heading in the right direction. We got a long way to go, yeah, but we're heading in the right direction.
0: Well, even like with the Harvey Weinstein thing, like, should he have gotten more time? Definitely, because... Like, good gosh, but he got way more time than
1: Butch did, Mm -hmm. you know? And he had way more money. Uh Uh-huh. Well, I liked this episode. Me too. I think it was good. Well, you know we want to know what y'all think.
0: Yeah, definitely. If y'all have heard of Dana and Greg Newkirk, let me know because I think they are amazing. I think they definitely have a different perspective on the paranormal and creepy side and- they do come from a more understanding and loving perspective and inquisitive, and not just like, it's a ghost, it's a demon, leave it be. You know, it's like, wait, let's explore this. What, you know, and so I don't know, it's just really cool. There's still those shows. Everything's evolving, and hopefully, we're all evolving too.
1: I also hope that we remember, creep it real, and, and don't, don't get scared.